0: Come come,
1: you guys to join me in the fog light prayer. I believe there's little pamphlets in the seats in front of you if you don't know what it is. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those whom are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those, those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Carolyn to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of this program is to have one, so it's important to know what it is.
2: Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be de- defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer.
1: Please refrain from disturbing others while we, or by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane mode or simply just turn them off. Um, I'm going to introduce our speaker now. So, Joe Bear, thank you again for, um, I believe it's our eighth session. So, Joe Bear, everyone.
3: Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. And you already did that, didn't you? Glad to be here. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Joe, Joe. and um, you know, I was just thinking before you called me up here about the the word God consciousness, and you know that is that is something that to me means that we have this relationship, this this ongoing relationship that had begun a long time ago as the work of the the step process and uh, the whole time we're working this process, we're cleaning out this this vessel we call you and I so that we can inhabit this God of our understanding and he can come in and dwell us and have relationship with us. And my experience is, is that he absolutely does. And he conveys who he is. He, he reveals who he is. Uh, he reveals who I am in, in his world. And, uh, you know, so he has become my comforter. He has become my director, my protector, uh, my consoler, my my confidence, my everything. And 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 that is this thing that 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 I get to call my spiritual awakening. This thing that I have experienced over time doing these steps. And 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 really, what happens is is the world becomes smaller and he becomes bigger. And. Uh, you know the, the the what we've covered so far has been you know a couple of phases we began in the uh investi- we began in the uh the learning phase right we in the first phase of recovery we 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 get this um whole description of what alcoholism the disease is from uh from a doctor from a medical um professional and it wasn't just some medical professional. It was, a, it was Dr. Silkworth who not only uh, had theorized about our, our uh, condition, but he also had experiential work with alcoholics, thousands of them. And uh, the the things that he had concluded were, uh, at the time, theoretical. Um, you know, but it was over. It was over. Over that period of time, with working with us, he is, he began to witness things. And all the things that he came up with this this theory that we have an allergy to alcohol that when we ingest alcohol into our bodies, uh, it sets off this phenomenal change this phenomenal craving um, and he called it phenomenal because he couldn 't explain how it happened, and uh, he just knew it did and uh, all the things that he talks about in his opinion became absolute fact, you know through the disease concept and when we got flooded with uh, you know, um, funds to do clinical trials and testings and things of that nature when uh, we were deemed a disease in the early 50s. So, you know, a lot of things were were, were uh, established, in fact, that had been previously established in theory by Dr. Silkworth. And I think that's just so amazing. You know, I believe God has this way of using, uh, I call him the great, you know, the puppet master. He, he did, the master chess player, where he would just put these people in this story called Alcoholics Anonymous that has um, just, it, it couldn't have been an accident, all right? So in the beginning, we learn that we have a death sentence to alcohol. We learn that through the doctor's opinion. We see it in Bill's story. Um, we see it double-downed in, 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 uh, by the obsession and more about alcoholism, this, this lie that we have with ourselves We're that distinguishes us from any other drinker, right? Any, any kind of temperate drinker or abnormal drinker or heavy drinker, the difference between a real alcoholic and a, and a, and a non-alcoholic is simply the obsession of the mind, that, that this inability to stop starting, right? This inability to stay stopped. So we get that information, and all we got to do is draw some conclusions by looking in our past, right? We look in our past, We see that this evidence fits that when we put it in, we can't stop or moderate, right? And then the the worst part about this thing is not stopping. Obviously, we've all stopped thousands of times, right, amongst all of us. The problem wasn't stopping. The problem is that we couldn't stop starting because of this incredible ability of our mind to tell ourselves a lie, giving us reason to put it in our body. No one is killing us. And doing it anyway. That is the insanity they talk about in step two. Knowing that I can't stop when I start. Right? And and the, the, the main piece of it being that I can't stop starting when I do get stopped. When I come to every day. Say, I'm never going to do that stuff again. A little while later, feeling a little better. Things get kind of hazy and, 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 and supplanted with other stuff. And I put it in my body. Now, We've talked about the internal condition, the things that we do in our pursuit of happiness or success or, uh, you know, the the pursuit of just being normal, right? We do things to people to to satisfy certain things that we think we need in order to be happy. And when we do that, we, we, we develop the art of lying. We develop the art of uh, concealment. We develop the art of, um, you know, um, um, just deceiving people and being manipulative and selfish and self-centered and greedy and lustful and all the things that we start to get consequences from. When we do this to people, we we start to develop this internal condition and those things that we, that, that, you know, the regret, the remorse, the fear, the shame, those have consequences internally that manifest themselves externally. Silkworth described it as being restless, irritable, and discontent. We are just never content. We're never, we never feel the sense of ease and comfort just in and of itself. We only can feel the sense of ease and comfort when we put booze in our body. So really, the internal condition is driving not only the lie, but it's driving us to, to, to this point where the only way we can seek relief is through booze and drugs. And we know it works, right? Um, and by that time, we've pr- pretty much given up on anything else, anything of value that, that, that medicine says or you know, holistic healers and things of that nature where they say, well, listen, if you try this, you might get some ease and comfort. You know, if you try these exercises and you try this way of meditating, you'll get ease and comfort. But for a drunk, it's like, wah, wah, wah. What are you talking about? I need a drink, right? We put it in our body and we can't stop. We have the inability to stay stop, so we're down for the count. I call it a death sentence, right? If it's not interrupted in some fashion, if that ability to, 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 to not be able to stay stopped, to continue starting again in light of all the devastation, all the, 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 the nightmare and the havoc that booze has called, caused me and all the people about me, the collateral damage, right? For me, for me to be in that state of mind, they, they describe it as somebody that it's kind of in a savage state of mind, right? I'm only thinking about what booze can do for me rather than what it just did to me. And now we go through this, this solution. We, we see in there is a solution, the need for power. The whole, the whole uh, chapter is, a, is an argument for the need for a power greater than ourselves. And we ought to know that. by I mean, by the time we get to that, that argument, it's like it should be a course. But we say, no, you've got to explain that to me, right? Because we don't want to believe that we are beyond human power, that we don't want to believe that we're beyond our own human power, <laughs> when in fact, not one human being on the face of the planet, or one institution, staffed by human beings on the face of the planet, has been able to keep me stopped. You see, I think if I go into a treatment setting, or if I find out some of my triggers, or if I do, if I do a lot of uh, inward search, outside the scope of the step work, that somehow or some way I'll be able to stay stopped on my own resources. Well, we got evidence, people. All of us have evidence. This thing of called evidence. We all know that if the judge could have done it, the mom could have done it, the priest could have done it, whoever could have done it, and given us the ability to stay stopped, we'd probably be flocking to that individual. But we absolutely are certain that the person in the mirror was the ultimate failure at that, right? So it should be, of course, I need power greater than human power. It's the only power that I've never considered. I can't see him, t- feel him, taste him, touch him, smell him. I can't. I can't feel this power, and you're telling me I got to rely on this power. Well, no, we're not ex- actually telling you that at the stage of step two. What we're what we're saying is. Are you at least willing to believe that there is a power, right? Are you at least willing to believe that there is some miraculous power out there that has enabled and empowered millions of people to stay stopped via that power? And how can you say the millions of people that have been able to to, to find the recovered state to be able to have this profound change in the reaction to life how can, you, how can you deny that? Belligerent denial? Just uh, unwillingness to concede? I mean, you know, it's like somebody used to describe getting in the ring with Mike Tyson and getting the, the uh, you know, what pummeled out of you time after time after time after time. And you're not, you know, you're, you're not becoming any better of a fighter. You're becoming better at a punching bag but we still insist on going into that ring and getting beaten and bludgeoned. It's the same thing we do with alcohol, right? So why wouldn't I be willing? Why, didn't, why, couldn't Bill, why wouldn't Bill be willing? Can I just grab that water, please? He said, I had to be willing, for I was hopeless. Well, that, I think that's where everybody gets to, right? Everybody has their own degree of hopelessness. But I'm going to tell you something. A lot of us that finally get that degree of hopelessness, it's an internal hopelessness it's not a monetary hopelessness it's not a it's not a physical hopelessness if you know if, if, if we looked at all of our bottoms, all of us should have stopped the first time <laughs> but most of us just went to like we got really bloodied out there I know I did so um,
1: having said
3: We get to a decision, right? We talked about this decision. Now, listen, AA says, look, we have a way to establish a relationship with that power, but it begins with a decision. Not an intention, a decision, right? Many of us made third-step decisions that never resulted in a decision because we never took action behind it. You know, any decision that we make in life, if you don't take action to validate it, there's no decision at all. It's just an intention. Well, I thought I would. You know, I've been on it for about six months. Well, you know, there's one of a thousand excuses. But the bottom line is, if, it, if we didn't take action immediately, like they say, like launch, <laughs> like launch with velocity into the four-step inventory, then it was just an intention. And boy, I tell you, nobody... Like a group of alcoholics had been wanting credit for their intentions for as long as we did, we had an excuse behind every single one of them so we made the decision you know if you why wouldn't you what it's like John told me he says what do you got to lose Joe how well's been how wells what you been doing working out for you he says look at let's look at the evidence well I had plenty of it. So, you know, when he, when he said, are you ready to do this? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, well, we'll see. He says, here's a pencil and a four-step inventory. You get busy. I thought it was about changing out here. It was the only concept I could draw. on And that I, had to, I had to change my friends, and I had to change my associates. I had to change, I had to change everything out here. I had no idea I was going to have to look in the mirror and do an investigation into that guy. <laughs> right? Because it was only there that I could find out where I was broken, where I was suffering, why I was suffering. And they did it in such a unique fashion. I was able to list them, what they did to me, and what they affected or threatened in me. Well, that's easy for a victim. And I was a consummate victim, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So I'm, 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 I'm into the first three columns of the, tw- of the, uh, the four-step inventory, And then I then I shift then I get into the last couple things that they address in the book and I'm looking at what I did to set the ball rolling. What could I have done differently? What did I what was my motive in this relationship to begin with? Or what what developed in this relationship that became nothing but ulterior motives and wanting to get something from them that would satisfy one of my instincts? whether it be money, property, prestige, whether it be an emotional pat on the back, whether it be emotional security or, you know, finance, romance, you name it. What was motivating me to want more out of that person in that relationship where they finally said, get away, get out. We see your game. You know, when you play people hard enough and consistent enough, they're going to know that you're gaming them. And I started to see this whole shift in my understanding about who was responsible for the, the damage. And it was me. So I had to look at that. I had to look at my fears. I had to look at my harms. I had to look at my sexual harms. I had to look at all the ulterior motives that I had. This, this consummate fraud that I was always being, this imposter that was just showing up for one thing, but having to pretend to be ten different things to this individual so that I could get that one thing. And I ended up becoming a lone wolf. I became, I became quite frankly, I became a person that felt like a nobody. Right? So we do this confession in five. We, we, we drill down. We drill down the exact nature of the wrong to really get to the core of selfishness and self-centeredness and consideration and lying, cheating and gaming. And I started to see who you got when, people, when when I showed up on the scene. I couldn't get out of that. I couldn't overcome me. I didn't want to be me at that point. But I had no, no vision, no foresight, No understanding of how to take me from who I had become into who I really wanted to be. be. And uh, John says, well, he says that's exactly what 6 and 7 are all about. 6 and 7 are finding those things that are broken, establishing all the defects of character that you've been operating by, the selfishness and self-centeredness, the decisions you made based on self-acquirement that later placed you in a, in, a, in a position to be harmed by that person, right? And listen, all the resentments I had, they only got as far back, they were only looked at as far back as when they pissed me or made me mad. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this clean, Mike, I really. But you, it's, it's like, how dare you? how dare you cheat on me? How dare you steal from me? How dare you do this to me? But I never saw, I never re, re, bothered to look at the, at the beginning of the movie to that point and what I did to get the whole thing started. Right, So I, I, I set out on a program of action in 6 and 7. 6 is, is being willing to give up the guy. For me, it was being willing to let that guy that I had become die. And I didn't want him living anymore. I hated me when I got here. I couldn't stand it. I wanted that, I wanted him to die. There were other times I wanted to die. But it was never kind of looking at me as I want him to die. The guy that I had become it wasn't the guy I was born to be. I was born as a perfect all of us, perfect spiritual gifted creation, a masterpiece of God's creation. That's what I was born as. But as soon as I started understanding what the, what the giants were saying and what they were telling me and when I was being influenced with teachers and all these other people, is like I started to get contaminated, right? I started to get a whole new line of information that took me away from the person I was born to be. And I wanted that back, some semblance of it, right? And seven, six and seven, so it was being willing to give up that guy, willing to have part, the, the, the worst parts of him die, And in order for me to accomplish that, I was absolutely going to need God's help. I was absolutely going to need the mercy and grace of God on a daily basis to pursue a a life that was exemplary of whatever that was in the opposite. I had to start becoming honest. I I had to start becoming truthful. I had to start developing this moral compass, this conscious inside me. You know, I didn't want to pay any more the prices that I was paying in in, in, in offending people or or, or or you know, lying to people. Uh, I wanted to know what it was like to be trusted. I wanted to know what it was like to be responsible. I wanted to know what it was like to have accountability in my life, to have that structure, you know what I mean, that I never had. And um the way that's done is simply going on my day's march and committing to, to uh, making a decision, making a third-step decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God that day for step six in honesty. And I asked him, be, I did not asking anything of God. I was begging him, please, God, please lead me in this pursuit. And a um, little by slowly things started to change. At first, they kept showing up, and I'd wait certain periods of time to make amends. And I was sick until I made that amends. And then, you know, this little second phase I got into was, you know, I would would commit an act, unbecoming of the guy that I wanted to become. And I would take a whole lot less time, like maybe a half a day or a day rather than two. Because every single time I made amends, I got freedom. It got washed away. It just completely dissipated. All the muckety-muck, all the dream, all the trying to get to sleep with this heavy heart, it it just wasn't working. And then it started to work. And then this third phase, all of a sudden I started finding myself pausing before doing it. I had just spent an agonizing Five hours doing a fifth step inventory. This deep dive, this this not only into the harm but the hurt, collateral damage, and who suffered as a result of me showing up. And I cleaned out that garbage can as best I could. I put it into action in six and seven. Why would I want to continue to fill that thing back up again? Because if I do that, I'm going to have regret. I'm going to have remorse. I'm going to have fear. I'm going to have anger. I'm going to start feeling restless, irritable discontent. And that old tape starts to run. I need relief. I need relief. The very things that I do in in hurtful, in ways hurtful to other people, actually will lead me back to the internal condition that had me drink for relief. And when I start, I can't stop. And when I'm stopped, I can't stop starting. I'm going to die that way. So this thing is all about leading me to freedom. Freedom of the bondage of me. Freedom of the bondage of worldly clamor, worldly care, being at one with whatever was, right? Sanity is described as uh, uh, being okay with what is, right? Being okay, having soundness of mind. It's, It's how they describe it. I never had soundness of mind. I came in here an emotional cripple. I was terrified of everything so it's not it, it it all all I was thinking about through this six and seven thing was wanting more of this freedom, more of this 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 low to no bondage in areas of my life to where the chase for all the instincts of character were. We subsiding, like I was okay with what I had. I never was okay with what I had didn't have much, but I still wasn't okay with it. So John says, okay, it's time, and uh, that's when I set out in this phase that we're talking about tonight, and I had listed I had in step eight it says we have our list, we made it when we made step when we took step eight. I mean, I'm sorry, when we did step four. So I not only have the list for the people I'm going to make amends to, I have the instincts of character that ran amok. They say every near, nearly every single emotional problem. Think about that statement. When we get here, we, we got a few of them, right? Nearly every seri- every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. Now, listen... And uh, I'm just going to read this a little bit out of the 12 and 12 because I think talking, you know, the whole thing of step four and five is to really look at how the instincts became turned into all-time liabilities where they, they, they literally became these, 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 this defectual behavior for me that caused not only me all the trouble that I could handle, but all the trouble, all the collateral damage of the people that I hurt. I was always looking to satisfy much more than was needed or due me in the way of personal relationship and a personal uh personal uh um, what's the word I'm looking for? personal security <laughs> emotional security right financial security sexual security Ambitions, right? Those things. I had, uh, uh, and this this is a, a definition of uh, instinct. An inborn tendency. So it's something that we're born with. To behave in a way characteristic of a species. It's a natural or acquired tendency. Now I'm going to read. Everybody likes to know what God's will is. Well, I believe Bill did his best to explain what that is in the way of instincts in our in our 12 and 12. And step four, it says creation, all capitals. Let's remember that creation, any creation has a creator. It says it gave us instincts for a purpose. Without them, we wouldn't be complete human beings. If men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons, made no effort to harvest food, or construct shelter, there would be no survival. That's the personal security. If they didn't reproduce, the earth wouldn't be populated. That's the sexual, security, sexual instinct, right? It says if there were no social instinct, if men cared nothing for the society of one another, there would be no society. There would be no community. There, would be no, there wouldn't be anything. Everybody would be walking around survival of the fittest mentality. It says, so these desires, and notice that he went from instincts to desires, for the sex relation, the material and emotional security, and for companionship, community companionship, are perfectly necessary, right, and surely God-given. They were given to us by our Creator to live happily and usefully in this world reasonably comfortable, right? So they're normal. It says, yet these instincts, so, so necessary for our existence, often far exceed their, their uh, proper functions. Powerfully, blindly, many times subtly, they drive us, dominate us, and insist upon ruling our lives. It became everything. My game was about. It became everything my pursuit in life was about. And the only way to get instincts satisfied is not through a wall. It's not through an animal. It's not through anything other than other human beings. I game you. I lie to you. I deceive you. Whatever the whatever the person showing up to be this happy, go lucky, confident, you know, uh, really caring about you and your well being kind of guy is ready to stab. And all I'm looking for is one of my instincts to be satisfied. And that may not be from everybody, but it usually, it usually will result in that kind of a relationship if I'm living out of pure selfishness and self-centered and all about me. It says, so our desires for the, sex, for the material and emotional security and for an important place in society often tyrannize us. When thus out of joint, man's natural desires cause him great trouble practically all the trouble there is. No human being, however good, is exempt from these troubles. Nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct, where they go from God-given instinct to a tactical set of tools to game other people and use other people. When that happens, our great natural assets, these gifts given to us by God to be reasonably comfortable, secure in our lives, our great natural assets, the instincts have turned into physical and mental liabilities. Well, listen, alcoholics don't have, a, don't have uh, exclusiveness on this. <laughs> Selfishness and self-centered is rampant in mankind. It has morphed into that. I don't know that it was ever not that. That doesn't mean every human being on earth lives from there. But if you work this program, our whole, whole, this awakening that we're talking about is not only the existing relationship that we're developing with God, with his help, but it's the same. How do we display that to him? How do we display that we really love him? I mean, we say when we really want to have a relationship with him, where he becomes everything we need to be reasonably happy and comfortable in this life, without doing it to our fellow man as a display. I can't have it both ways. I can't do it to you, or I can't be that individual for you, and say, God, I really mean what I say. It's either one and the same or it's not. It's either selfish, self-centered, or God-centered. And there's no in-between. Listen, I fluctuate. I, I kind of like it, that transport beam me up. I get transported into one to the other like a few times during the day sometime. But the beauty of it is um, I, I have a, a moral compass that has been established where I can catch myself. And I can make amends. And I can be free. Right? It's... uh. It's something that if, if 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 I'm not committed to, goes right by right out the door. Goes right by the wayside. Who is that guy? Yeah. So then we come. So John says, "Look, we're going to do the. Who, who's the guy? Who's the, who's the individual you don't want to make amends to the most?" or you feel that they had such a part in it that it's really all their fault because you've played it so many times over in your head that you didn't do anything wrong. Well, I had one, and I made amends, but before I went to make amends with this man, I got with my sponsor, and I said, John, how do I approach this? It says we're supposed to exercise generalship and tact and, you know, and, and have this sense about, a strategy that will be uh authentic and transparent and and will hopefully have a uh, a good result one way or another and I had no idea how to do that I mean it says it in the book we, we we exercise well i didn't have any of that, so I had to go to John he had all that right he just did and um the first thing we did was when we got together to about this amends, we sat down and we prayed. That God revealed to uh, to my heart all the things that that needed to be revealed in order to bring my heart to this individual. And after we got done praying that, so we invited God in, and um, then 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 he talked about then we then we really went back and redoubled our efforts and looked at the the the, the things that I had done to set the whole thing in motion, and there was it was It was so much it was it was like by the time I got done talking about talking about this to John, the things that he did as a result of my game, so to speak, my whole you know deceit and, and, and fraud come from with him when when the thing erupted um his thing his 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 part in it became minimal it was like it was like not even worth talking about like you know it, not only. Not only did I, 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 I condition myself to not want a pound of flesh from this guy. You know how we are, man. <laughs> I always wanted my pound of flesh. Sometimes today still want a pound of flesh. And when I went in, I, 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 I had asked him. He, John says, "Look, you might, he, he might not want to talk to you." I said, "Well, okay." And what do I do now? He says, "Well, write a letter asking him if he wouldn't, if he would have the kindness in his heart to." extend an invitation to me to come and meet with him at his convenience. It wasn't a, Hey, I see you on the corner. Hey, I need to talk. No, it wasn't anything like that. It was done out. It was done in a way where I showed this man respect for his time and his consideration, allowing me to speak with him about something that was quite frankly, part of saving my life. And he did. And we had that conversation. And, um, it was truly amazing and every every amends there, thereafter was truly amazing but it taught me some things it taught me to bring god into into the situation it taught me taught me to seek counsel before i go and uh so that i'm not thinking about what i'm normally thinking about like what i want to say right it's about putting things in perspective to where when i go out to this person I can bring them this guy that's been in six and seven, attempting to let that man die, putting in good defects and getting rid of old defects and you know, bringing selfless de- things into, into, into my consciousness rather than having selfish and self-centered so that he got my heart rather than this. So he got somebody that perhaps could communicate from their heart rather than their head and uh believe me when you're speaking from the heart your body shows it you can you know when somebody's communicating to you in a very authentic transparent sincere and earnest way it's like you just you just like ev- all your defenses go down like you don't have any defenses i didn't want to leave the table of anybody that i needed to make amends to without you know giving it Every, every consideration I possibly could to have it be successful. And when I say successful, that doesn't mean forgiveness. Because I always left that table with saying, look, you know, I'm not asking for your, for your forgiveness right now. I said, I, I wouldn't forgive me for what I did. But if you can find it in your heart, down the road, that's all I can ask. And I want to thank you for your time. And it was amazing. With my mother, it was just it was awesome. But I wasn't just making amends for the harm, whatever I stole or whatever I gained, whatever I did to make you suffer. I was I was making amends for the hurt, the emotional trauma, the emotional internal hemorrhaging that people were feeling. Every th- every time they thought about that. It- you know, Experience with Joe. and um, little did I know that the very same guy that hated my guts, the guy in the mirror, felt I couldn't look at myself in the eyes because it was so filthy in there. I had become... Anyway, um, I wanted him dead. When I got to John, I I wanted him dead. I hated him. Little did I know I'd be able to get blessed with a program. That by way of how we do it and work it and are guided and coached to do it in a proper way, in the book's way, was I allowed to let that guy die? I got my wish. The only thing is, if I don't, if I don't actively commit, like, every day got to make a decision. Every day got to do a step three. got to turn my will and my life over to the care of my creator, my God, in some form or fashion, not in just a general blanket statement. Like, Lord, I give you my, have your way with me today. This is what I commit to to show you and display to you how how, I'm, how I really mean it. So today I'm going to work on da-da-da. Today I'm going to make amends to so-and-so. Or today I'm going to go out and do a random act of selflessness. Today I'm going to, whatever it is, you still have to third-step it, right? And 6 and 7 is third-stepping every day in what you're going to display to God and what you're what you're needing help with. And even with the amends, Lord, I'm you know I turn my will and my life over to your care, and this is how I'm going to do it today. It's going to be so and so, and I ask you to please bless me with your insight and wisdom, and understanding and perception of how I'm supposed to be looking at this. I never go into this thing single handed combat, man. It's so dangerous. It's so selfish. And then we get to this thing called step 10. Right? And we're just going to touch on it. If I can keep this book from coming apart at the scene. Let's see. It says this step will always, it says this brought us step 10. What brought us step 10? These promises are being fulfilled among us sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But they will always, this is a promise, they will always materialize. If we work for them, everything Bill promises in his writings is always done before condition, right? He will come to all who have earnestly sought. All who have earnestly sought. Not, you know, superficially or above the neck type, you know, to give a casual mention. No, sincerely sought. There are ways of seeking God all through this process, and then it gets us to a place where we get to take it beyond this process in many forms and fashion, whether it be church, whether it be the Bible, whether it be spiritual writings, whatever. Anything to fill my heart with nourishment, spiritual nourishment, is better than worldly nourishment. Do you understand? You know what I'm saying there? It's like... It says, uh, so this stop. Thought bird step 10. It says, suggest we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Well, one would think that's involves inventory, right? It involves six and seven. Just a statement, just a sentence. So take personal inventory, which I did in four, and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along, six, seven, eight, nine, right? But it's a little more involved than that. It says, we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. Vigorously commenced this way of living in six, seven, eight, nine, 9. And we cleaned up the past by 4 and 5. Right? We got on right footing. We got on a different perspective. It says in the end of the fourth step in the big book, it says, when we can... When we can see the terrible destructiveness of our resentments, that's a miracle for me. Are you kidding me? I only saw the destruction of your resentment, of your scorn. It was always your fault, right? It says, notice this. And I remind you too, in the 12th step it says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Having had, hmm. When did I had it? <laughs> right? Would beg the question. Wasn't it step 12? It wasn't at step 11. Step 10 is an is a implementation of the whole design. But obviously happened in somewhere towards the midst or end. or in, I would say the midst because a lot of people don't get to the end of nice step amends. But somewhere in that area, we have had this explosive transformation. This caterpillar to the butterfly effect, this you know, this conceit to compassion, this 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 selfishness to to selflessness and empathy and and goodwill towards all, and especially the people in our program to support and 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 and, and motivate. Right? It says we have entered the world of the spirit. So in step ten, they're telling us where we've entered up to this point doesn't even talk about what we do in step 10, but it tells us how we grow in effectiveness and understanding, right? It says, we've entered the world of the Spirit. Our next function, remember the last one was nine. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Of what? Our relationship. The relationship that has been born between us and God. And our fellow man. Says this isn't an overnight matter; it should continue for a lifetime. It says these are the instructions. It says continue to watch for selfishness, self-centeredness, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Where did we identify those things in step four? In the last in the in the last uh, um, direction that it gave, where we turned back to the list, for it held the keys to the future. If we only looked at what, who we were mad at and what they did to make us mad and what it threatened, if we stopped there, we'd still, ha- they'd still, we'd still be in there. We'd still be locked down with that, right? But it says, now the keys to the future take place when we, set, when we talk about how we set the ball rolling and what defects of character we operated on. It says, so continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Step four. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them, six and seven. So when I start, when I act on a defect, I ask God to please help me remove it. And if I need to make amends, I do eight and nine with that individual. What's the, what's the result? Freedom. It's as simple as that, freedom. I'm not distracted in my relationship. It remains centered, right? It says, we discuss them with somebody immediately. Well, we did that in five, didn't we? We, did, we? we started that process in five. And we make amends quickly if we've harmed anybody. That's eight and nine. So four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And the principles that are the essence of those steps initiated by step three on a daily basis is what Bill calls a design for living that really works. It's the implementation of these principles into our heart, discarding selfish and self-centered principles, and and, and living freely, f- living without bondage. It says, um, and then we, th- resolu- then we can resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. We can't help anybody when we're in all that muckety-muck. You understand? When I'm full of discomfort and You know, uh, regret and shame and and bitterness and anger and resentment. How do I help anybody? I don't. I can't. Not in good conscience. So it says this. And here are the promises of the 10th step. So if we do four through nine, after a decision that we make on a daily basis, that's our method, that's our strategy. It says, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have returned. By this time, soundness of mind will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we will recoil from it as from a hot flame. Remember when I told you when we were on the other side of this right here, that all we could think about was what alcohol and booze did did for us rather than what it did to us? The miracle of this is that we've now come to a conditioned mind, uh, 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 a different mind, a different mindset, that when when things get us upset or we get angry and we're tempted by the relief of alcohol, our minds don't go to what it did for us. It immediately goes what it did to us and we recoil from it from a hot flame. We don't even make it a second-second consideration. That is what we call recovered, right? When our mind goes to what booze did to us and them and what it did what, what rather than what it did for us. That's that, that's supernatural, people. No human being on earth that I know of has been able to accomplish that on his own resources, especially this guy, right? But somehow through this work it says that we have received these gifts. So um, it says we. It says when that happened, it, 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 we will find that this happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any effort on our part. This attitude of what it did to us, rather than what it did for us, it just comes. It's a, that's the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel we have been. We feel as though we have been placed on a position of neutrality safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. We have recovered. It does not exist for us. We're neither cocky nor we afraid. That is how we keep that. That is our experience. And that is how we keep. That is how we react. So long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Hmm. Beg the question for somebody that hasn't been studying this that long. Well, How do we stay in fit spiritual condition? Well, we just read it. We just read it. This is not an overnight matter. Continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Four. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. Six and seven. We discuss them with somebody immediately. Step five. And make amends quickly if we have harmed anybody. Eight and nine. So we'll get a little bit more into this step 10, this design for living that really works, that Bill talks about. And uh, if you're a recovered alcoholic, you've implemented this design. That's where we, that's where we get that term. We don't suffer from a, from a hopeless feature of mind and body anymore. The hopeless feature of the mind has been restored. Thanks. Amen.
1: Thank you, Joe. Let's have a round of applause for our speaker, please. Mark, Mark. Let's welcome Mark for the secretary report, please. Hey
4: everybody, I'm Mark, I'm recovered alcoholic secretary. Keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going to go around. If you're short on cash, uh, on the back of every chair there's a QR code. You're welcome to scan that and make your contribution that way. While the baskets are going around, I have not asked anyone to read the recovered statement. I was asked to do this on short notice. Anyone want to volunteer?
5: My name is Zach, recovered alcoholic. <laughs> We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered.
4: 1940 style big book sponsorship from the 4th to the 2nd edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I please see a show of hands? Or no, we do it backwards now. Anyone needing a sponsor, will you please stand and introduce yourself? Um, okay, so is there any recovered alcoholics in the room? Okay, There's quite a few. If, if anyone didn't stand or you didn't want to, there's plenty of recovered alcoholics to get with. Don't go unsponsored. It will kill you. Um, I mean, it's facts, right? Come on. (laughs) Um, So anyway, uh, please join us Monday nights. We meet right on the stage. we got two guys and a reader that stand up here. They do a big book study where the big book comes alive. Fellowship's at 6.30. The meeting starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books. Little red books, big book dictionaries for sale on that piano. See me or any home group member if you're interested in purchasing that stuff. Um, We meet here every Thursday. Joe has four more weeks left. We start promptly at 7.15. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. I'll see you next week.
1: We have tonight's sessions and all the past speakers' podcasts online at alcoholicsandgod.org. Those of you who'd like to thank tonight's speaker, you can line up in the center aisle. Uh, We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer Our Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. thine is the kingdom, power, and all the world. Amen.
6: Thank you all for your Story Smoke
7: Smiling, the whole world smiles with you, baby. baby. Yes, when you're laughing.
8: The party's over, the guest of honor has arrived, and he's almost up. For the first time in my life, and my thumbs are green now, I'm growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Mike Chase. Bye.
7: I think you know this one, don't you?